0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Drew. Sorry, i got to open my iPad here. I'm the coolest pastor because I use an iPad. <laughs> uh, I am actually a pastor here. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Hope. Uh, I'll, use it as, I'll use it as my youth pastor pass. I'm also, I get to be the youth pastor here. Um, uh, it's a joy to be here with you today. It is really nice out. So thank you for not, walking past the doors (laughs) and down to the Twins game or whatever. I know some of you are going to the Twins game, which is great, but thanks for stopping here first. Um, Excited that you're here with us this week. Uh, uh, This is really, really a lot of fun and exciting to get to share the Word with you, encourage you to follow Jesus more. Um, When I was young, uh, I was asked to be a coach so my, my dad coached me all through, throughout as a kid in baseball and soccer, and I played um, soccer and loved that sport. And so when I went to college, my dad said, you should be, the, you should be my assistant coach. You know, I, I thought that was strange, but now as a dad, I get, oh, how cool would that be to coach my son? So he sat me down and said, um, remember we got in his old uh, S10 pickup, and he said, uh, hey, I want you to be my assistant coach. And I said, oh, uh, do I have to? <laughs> right? Is that he, uh, I think I was probably a freshman or sophomore in college. He said, uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> I actually need other adults there. So uh, he, I think he was hoping I'd be honored and say, of course. But uh, I said, well, how often do I have to come? All the time? Oh, all right. Um, so, of course, my next question, as we're driving to the first practice, so, like, what do we get for this? Do they... Pay you? Like, how much do they pay, you know, coaches of rec U10 soccer? <laughs> nothing. I think actually uh, he said, you get a free shirt that said coach. Uh, I thought, I kind of wanted something. I should get something, right? I'm not just going to give my time to help develop kids for nothing. What um, <laughs> kind of person am I? I was going to college, right? So I could make big money. Um, and then I thought, you know what, uh, I guess this will be okay. I was remembering my days playing soccer and loving it, and as we pulled up to the field, I saw a team warming up. They were running laps around the field, and I thought, you know what, at least if I'm a coach, I don't have to run, <laughs> right? So I was like, all right, well, I guess I don't get paid, and I don't really, to really get anything, but I don't have to run, so at least I can let them do all the hard work, and I can just yell at them to play better. To, uh, when I was a kid, everyone yelled, boot it. I can just yell, boot it. That was like the phrase to yell. Just kick it. Like you need to tell kids in soccer to kick it. It's the one thing you do in soccer. So one of my first practices ever, as coach drew, um, I was helping coach the, the goalies because that's what I had played. So I was helping coach a goalie and I was explaining to him how you need to be aggressive. And when, uh, when he had an opportunity where a kid was dribbling, it was kind of one-on-one, that you should run out and kind of slide at him, because when you're that young, he won't know what to do, and he won't be able to kick a goal. So I said, just scare him, like run and scream and slide into him. This was how good I was as a coach. Um, Feel free to use this, coaches out there. So I ran and slid into, I think actually they were maybe 12 years old, uh, maybe a little older, uh, around that. Almost in middle school. (laughs) And I wanted to show him, he couldn't figure it out. So I said, well, you know what? I'll show you. I guess I'll run for a second. And I ran out, and I slid into a kid, first kid I I showed, and I grabbed the ball, and I stood up, and I said, that's how you do it. And then everybody was looking past me to the kid that I had just defended, that I had schooled, uh, because he was holding his arm, because Coach Drew had broken his arm. (laughs) Yeah, I broke a kid's arm. As an adult man, I broke a child's arm. Now... (laughs) No, 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 who's cheering? No, no. That was a test. Can can you escort him out like we had discussed? What in the world? Someone please edit that out of the audio of this sermon. I So I felt terrible, which I, you should feel terrible, whoever you are. I thought, oh, no, my coaching career is over, which is, was okay with me. But I, uh, the worst thing was that my dad, being a good dad, said, uh, uh, we, you need to talk to his parents. We need to call. So We call his dad, and his dad's like, "That's, that's fine. This happens." Um, his dad comes to pick him up. Uh, we actually didn't know it was broken yet. We just knew it was really bad. Uh, I was praying it wasn't broken. And I walked up to his parents and uh, with him, and because uh, I was coach, I had to. And I said, "Hey, um, I may have broken your kid's arm, <laughs> maybe." And they said, "Who are you?" <laughs> They didn't know who I, who I was. And I said, oh, I'm just like a guy helping out the team, <laughs> giving my time, you know, being a good guy. And just as I said that, I was trying not to say coach because I thought, oh, I don't want to be the coach right now. I don't have to deal with this. I quickly uh, released those responsibilities. As I said that, I remember I said, I might have broken your kid's arm. The parents said, who are you? And I said, oh, just a guy helping out, trying to help your kid. I didn't even tell him I was the one who broke the arm. <laughs> And a kid ran by and said, "Hey, Coach Drew, see you next week." <laughs> and then the parents said, "You're a coach? What, what happened?" So we got to play that out. Thankfully, they were gracious, understanding. You know, I wasn't trying to hurt their kid. Um, and the kid, uh, you know, got a cool cast out of the deal. <laughs> um, I wanted nothing to do, though, with being a coach in that moment, because that was the moment when it was fun to get to tell kids when to run and get to kind of be a big deal. But as soon as things go bad, I was not thrilled at all to be a coach. I think we've experienced this, um, and today we're going to look at what it looks like to be a leader in the church. I think we've all experienced coaches who have broken our arms, right? Hopefully not actually broken our arms, but hurt us. People that have led us that maybe hurt us, and probably unintentionally, hopefully, um, And so that makes us kind of want to walk away from that, whether maybe we feel like I don't want to be the coach, I don't want to be the boss because that could happen, and then I'm responsible, I'd rather just kind of sit back, I don't want to have to make rules or have any attention on me, or maybe I don't want to be the kid on the team, I don't want to have someone tell me what to do, I can do this myself, I can make decisions, I can figure out how to be a great goalie, Right, I can figure out what to do without this person in charge. I don't like that people are in charge of me. Or maybe you just don't think anybody should be anything. You know, maybe you just feel like can we all just kind of do our thing and move through life and move through uh, all things, relationships, work, marriage, family, and just kind of do our thing and then survive. I think it's understandable because uh, we've all been hurt. Um, Or we've all actually took the risk to lead, and then we've messed things up and failed. And so, I think this is really—it's really great that we get to get to this part of First Peter, um, and hear what does it actually look like to be a shepherd of God's people. Uh, There's recently even a a survey done that mentioned that when they surveyed people in America, uh, less than half of the people said they trusted the morality or decisions of church leaders, um, which is understandable, I think, where people have been hurt. It's hard to trust people who lead you in a church. Uh, And and that survey also showed that uh, church leaders still beat out like congressmen and uh, (laughs) many other leaders. So there's a general consensus that actually less than uh, 30, 40% of people trust people who are leading them. It's interesting because we're all led by people, right? So a lot of us have trouble because probably we've been hurt or, or had leaders who I think maybe, as, as Peter's gonna explain, didn't lead well. So that's our, that's our plan today. We're gonna get into uh, the fifth chapter. We're at the end of First Peter now, and Peter is gonna actually address the leaders of the church and, and explain to them what does it look like to be a leader and uh, a shepherd. And I think if people actually led this way, it would change how I would uh, pursue being led or being a leader myself. And I encourage you today that this is, is spoke to the elders of the church, but today I think all of us can learn some important things from this passage. So let's read uh, this. I'll read First uh, Peter 5, 1 through 4. You can read on the screen or if you want to open your phone or your Bible and read along. We just have four verses today, which is great. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. So as we start this, it uh, starts with a word, elders, uh, which I want to clarify so that we know what this is. Peter is saying uh, to them, "Hey, elders, I'm also an elder. What does that mean? Well, in the, in the church, uh, quickly, uh, I'll explain what we have elders. So I hope we have elders. This is a group of men who lead our church, who who will get to this phrase, shepherd our church." Uh, who oversee our church. This word elders is used throughout the New Testament. It's when uh, Paul is talking about setting up churches and Peter and, and all the churches, they set up this group of people who lead and shepherd, who go to God and discern what God wants that helps lead the flock. They're not set up, we'll get to it, uh, to be in charge, to gain things, to just get to like glean uh, things off the off of the uh, church so that they gain things, but they're a group of people uh who lead the church? How this works at Hope is that we actually have elders. We say we're elder-led or shepherded. We're uh, we're staff runs or staff makes these things work. And at Hope, we would say we're member mobilized. That's a term we've been recently using more. But the idea is that we want to help support and and grow and develop our church so that we can all make disciples together. Um, that's what um, Peter's talking about here. So these people who have been appointed by God, by this church, to lead them. He's talking to them now. And, and before this, he has talked about all sorts of different groups of people, right? He's addressed slaves and women and children and, and families and everybody, right? He's kind of addressed all the different pockets, the different ways you could categorize who you are so that he, can, he can best help them understand what does it look like to, to follow Jesus as you suffer uh, in the time there and as we went through um, First Peter. And that's what he says here. The first thing he says is, uh, I'm a fellow elder, and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter actually, remember Peter actually got to watch Christ suffer, and Peter denied him, but he actually got to watch the actual suffering of Christ. And he says, I'm also one who will share in the glory to be revealed. So he does something really cool in one sentence that he's done over and over and over in First Peter. And if nothing else, this has been the most encouraging part of First Peter for me, is that he, he tells us to do something. So he says, right now, we might feel like we're looking in, into the sand, right? Into the, you could picture like hot sand. Last summer we got to go to Florida with our kids, and I didn't anticipate the heat of the sand. Like the, the view was beautiful, but my feet were getting burned all the time. We have oh, poor Drew, right? He's at <laughs> the beach in Florida. Um, but could you imagine this, right? You could just picture the hot sand, it's burning my feet. I don't like the little rocky things between my toes, right? It gets in my swimming suit sand, right? And Peter's saying, there is suffering throughout all this book, but he says, we need to look up to the glory that will be. And that actually is what got me from the hot edge of the hot sand into the water, which was pretty glorious uh, last summer. But, it, but if I had just went, ah, ha ha, ha hot, 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 like, that's my hot sand dance, then I would just stand there and be hot, and I'd probably run back to the parking lot, which is also very warm, um, and never gets to the beautiful, refreshing ocean, right? So he's saying, I have seen the suffering, but I also look to the glory ahead. And then he's gonna explain a little more what that looks like. But he's again reminding us for the whatever time, many, many, many times in First Peter, just saying, I know we're here right now, but do not forget what's coming. Look ahead. He's calling us to look beyond and remember that, What's, what's to come, which is good, really good, where Christ makes all things right. So again, he reminds us of that, and then he gets more into the nitty-gritty of what does it look like to be an elder, to be a leader. He goes to verse two, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So he uses this phrase shepherd here, which we see throughout scripture. It's one of the, one of the most common ways to explain God's people Um, as God is his shepherd, and and he explains here, he calls these elders shepherds. So he says, this is, doesn't actually say your flock, he says God's flock, be shepherds of God's flock. So what does it mean to be a shepherd? We see shepherds throughout all of scripture, people like Abraham and Moses and David, God often picks shepherds to be the people to shepherd. Uh, (laughs) Makes a lot of sense, right? It's actually really interesting because they would have known what it was like to care for a flock of sheep, and then he says, those skills, I'm going to transfer now. You're going to shepherd God's flock. A lot of those people were not equipped in other ways, the ways maybe we would think. You're going to run this organization. We should pick this person. And God says, no, we're going to pick this shepherd because they know how to care for sheep, feed sheep, be with the sheep. The shepherd would smell like sheep because they literally are sleeping out in the, in the rocky mountains with the sheep. They're sleeping on the, in the pastures with the sheep. They're protecting the sheep from wolves. They're guiding the sheep when they get off path. They might need to tap them on the you know, the rump a little bit to keep them in line. When the sheep gets lost somewhere, the shepherd runs to find it and carries that sheep back sometimes. Even when the sheep is injured, he, he, he binds it up and heals it. Um, and so God said, I want someone like that to lead our church, to lead, to lead God's people. Um, not maybe someone who knows how to lead an organization, and maybe yelled, and tell people how to, where to run, but someone who's with them, cares for them. Shepherds weren't always thought of as, uh, sometimes I think as a, a person in the church, I think, oh, shepherds are this great thing, because Jesus calls himself a shepherd. In fact, shepherds were not thought of real high, they're kind of thought like, they're kind of dirty, and they're out in the, you know, they're not even like around people most of the time. They like, they sleep with animals out in fields. Um, so it's, it's an interesting pick, but it, throughout all of the scripture, we see God over and over use shepherds and call his leaders to be shepherds. So I wanna look um, also at what it would look like to not be a shepherd. And then we're gonna look at what Peter says to be a shepherd. And one of the great passages to look at this is in Ezekiel. So if you wanna flip to Ezekiel with me, we're gonna look at what it, how not to be a shepherd. And this is, Ezekiel is uh, a prophet of God who God says, hey, I want you to talk to my people. So he's using him to talk to his people. This is God talking to his people, and he has some very uh, harsh words for these shepherds who God will actually really not call shepherds. And I, I want, I'm gonna read this. We're gonna walk through this. this is actually, we're gonna read actually all of Ezekiel 34 today. But I want, as we read this, I want you to feel this. Where have you, where have you experienced this and felt this and seen this? Because I think these words, um, I have felt this, And it's why it's caused me to to change uh, and to get, I would say, an ungospel view of what a shepherd should be um, and want to actually kind of turn away from anyone, allowing anyone to shepherd me. Here's God talking to um, these people. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only care for yourselves. Could you imagine God coming to you and saying, woe to you, who care only for yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You see in verse 3 there, you're actually taking from the sheep. You're literally clothing yourself with the sheep. You're slaughtering, killing the things that, were, that you're called to care for. You do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they were scattered. And when they were scattered, they became food for wild animals. Not only are you consuming them, when they are hurt, you're not helping them. And, And in fact, there aren't really shepherds. You're not being a shepherd. So what happens then, the sheep have to scatter. No one's keeping them together. No one's caring for them. So they leave, and you know what happens? Not only are you consuming them, but now the wild animals around are consuming them. My sheep wander over the mountains, and on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. That's sad. That's hard to hear. They were scattered over the whole earth. No one searched or looked for them. I've, as a sheep, I have felt that. Is anyone looking for me? Is there like one person searching for me? They feel lost? Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Not, not the phrase you want to hear after he just gave you that little woe to you shepherds. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my, f- my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. We get it, you said that a few times, Lord. <laughs> Tell us, I'm against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I'll rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. God doesn't just say, you're not caring for them. Come on, come on, guys. Stop eating the flock and using them as clothes. Let's let's shape up, right? He says, can you imagine these words? I am against you. Not the person you want against you. He's going to hold them accountable. And not only hold them accountable, but they now no longer will be able to feed themselves. And thankfully, we hear that God will rescue his flock. Now, because of this reality, and I think we continue to feel this reality in the church, for sure we felt this. I think just, in life, right? People who have been put in a place where they are to guide us, to help us, to be examples to us, and they have not done that. They've done the opposite, hurt us, used us. We have been hurt. And so there's a few responses that I go through. I'll just share my responses I go through. One of them is that I don't want to be a sheep. Don't call me a sheep. I'm not a sheep. I just don't wanna be in your flock. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave, and not let anyone lead me anymore, and resist that, and even just to talk poorly of anyone who's leading. I think of jobs I got into uh, again in college when I was so wise and <laughs> mature. I remember getting jobs, and the first day the job was complaining about my boss. I remember working at a hotel. First day at lunch, I was like, "Oh yeah, a boss, man." You're like, you just started working here. You don't even know the boss. Just to be, just kind of anti anyone in charge, right? Or I think I can say, I don't think anyone should be sheep. No one should get to be in charge of anyone. I, I, I'll disregard that idea of, the, of there being sheep at all. There shouldn't be rules. Everyone should do their own thing. None of us should be sheep. And I think at some point, I no one should be in charge. I don't want to be in charge. Whether I don't want any in charge of me, I also don't want to be in charge because now I know what it takes. And there's gonna be people who I might hurt because no matter how hard I try, I will not always lead well or shepherd well. I don't want anyone to tell me who I am, right? I get to the point where I start, I actually start believing who gets to tell me anything. I get to choose what is true, what is right, and you know what? I'm a man. And I can be whatever I want to be. I, can't, I don't have to be a sheep or a shepherd. I can be whatever I want to be. If I want to be a man, I can be a man. And you know what? I can be a man with a horse body if I want. I'm a centaur. You can't tell me different. I'm not a sheep. I'm a centaur. not the greatest picture ever? The, who is that guy? Man, I want to meet that guy. That centaur, sorry. I'd like to meet that centaur. How do you feel or think? What comes, what bubbles up as we stop here? What do you think about sheep and shepherds? What do you think about being a sheep or being called a shepherd or a leader? Why? Why, what, why does that happen to you? It's, I think it's really important. Our experience and what we have felt and we've had done to us or, or not uh, is really important to get, to get at so that we don't start putting those things on the good shepherd which we're going to get to we don't just keep saying, I get to decide I'm a centaur I'm not a sheep I'm not in the flock i don't think centaurs run in flocks i don't know what centaurs run in oh they're not real i didn't explain that centaurs aren't real if anyone's <laughs> if anyone's nervous about that so how has god set it up then if if that if those shepherds in ezekiel 34 aren't the way it's set up how has he set it up Well, thankfully, he gives us some really helpful wisdom here. So he says you're going to care for the flock, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. So our first encouragement is that we are willing, right? The the you have to and you get to, the difference there. I have to or I'm called to, to be willing. How important is that willing, I think, I think of when I was asked to be an assistant coach before, you know, my, my first response is, do I have to? Do I, am I willing to do the work that it takes to care well for people? Secondly, Peter says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. He's calling the elders of this church and all churches. He's calling you as a leader in your home or at work. As one who is called and willing to step into care for those around you, are you willing to do that without getting something from it? This would be, uh, right, Uh, counter to the American dream. I should get something out of this. This is my kids every time I say, hey, hon, did you finish cleaning your room? What am I going to get for that? I don't know, a home to live in and a food. <laughs> it's built right into us, right? I should get something. I shouldn't just do it because I love you or because I, I want to. He's saying as an elder, we got to be careful. As, as a leader, we got to be careful that we are willing and we also are not doing this to get something. This one I think is tricky. Because we get a lot often, even if it's not a thing, right? I'm not getting paid, but I might be getting your approval or I might know that down the road I get to cash this thing in at work. I can, I can do this thing because I know later I can say, hey, remember when I did that thing? Out of the goodness of my heart, I want something for it now, right? Are you willing to be a servant? Not just be willing, but be a servant. I see this um, what, when I was new to Hope. I remember they... Um, the we had to talk through this emergency plan that we do like once a year or twice a year and explain like what happens if there's an emergency on a Sunday morning so everybody knows um you all remember right I'm sure we remember that really well uh pretty much it's like get out of the building if the fire alarm goes off but one of the things they say is uh the elders will be running around the building making sure everyone's out the last people out of the building will be the elders and I thought oh that's cool that's a cool idea like you know, the elders are here to care for people, so they're going to be the last ones. out. I remember saying that to some elders. It's kind of cool that, you know, some of you guys will be making sure people get out. And they said, no, no, we're like, we're here. Like, we're, no one's leaving the building. I mean, everyone's leaving the building, and we're the last ones in it. <laughs> That'd be bad. That'd be bad shepherding. And it wasn't, I kind of said it like, that's kind of fun and cute. And they said, oh, no, that's, we take that very seriously. We We'll make sure everyone is out and safe before we're out. We're willing to, to sacrifice, risk our life to make sure the people of hope are out of the building. It's really not funny or cute. It's a very easy, practical way for us to be willing to even be able to give of ourselves to make sure people are safe. And uh, it wasn't that, that long after that, we had a film fest right in this building, in this room. And the anyone remember this? And the fire alarms went off during film fest and it was, it was kind of a bummer. Um, but they went off, and I had recently uh, become an elder. And I thought, I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought, right? As should be kind of everyone's thought. The alarm's going off. And I thought, no, no, no. My job is to run around and make sure. So I ran around the building. There were some kids sleeping in the nursery. And I remember getting out. And I remember thinking, if this is real, I'm going to run around this building. I, I, could, I could really be like the reality of it and then who did I see as I ran around this is, this is that film fest I saw their elders running around the building very practical but, but very real Like just, I'm not, get, I'm not getting anything from that um, panicky right Sweat, a little sweaty from running around the building but um, are they willing to be servants there's many many ways um, that we can be servants for me that, that really stuck out that's real that's, that's going to happen. And lastly, Peter says, You're not to lord it over those entrusted to you, but be an example to the flock. You're not doing this because you get to be in charge, you're doing this because you get to show them what it looks like to be a sheep. You're not just going to do as, you, as I say, but you're actually going to do as I do, right? How, how many times have we ever heard that phrase? Not just do as I say, you're gonna do as I do. This is a convicting one as a parent, as I would love to just tell them, just stop doing that. (laughs) Uh, But I am called to show them what it looks like. This is interesting because in order to be an example to sheep, we too here are being called sheep. So we are called to be good, faithful sheep what it looks like to pursue. We're gonna get to it, but the chief shepherd himself. Um, Tim Keller has a great thought on this. Most churches make the mistake of selecting as leaders the confident, competent, and successful. We could could say, this person runs a business really well, a very successful business. They must be a great leader for our church. Right? That's how God could have chosen his leaders. Instead, he chose shepherds. But what... You most need in leaders is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his or her sin and even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. The number one leaders in every church ought to be the people who repent the most fully without excuses. Because you don't need because any, any, you don't need any now, and the most easily without bitterness, and the most publicly and the most joyfully, they know their standing isn't based on their performance. I think that that really flips, for me that has flipped what it looks like to to be a leader And, and in the church what it looks like to be a leader. Not because you're successful in other areas but because you're the one who shows the example of what it looks like to repent, to be aware that you're a sinner and to know that you need more than anything else Jesus. So as we take a little stop here, what out of those three, what's hardest for you? Is it hard to do things without getting things for it? Is, it? is it hard to lead and not get to tell everyone what to do, be in control? It's just hard to be willing to, to step up. It's, it's just easier to not have to step up. Well, thankfully, uh, I checked yes to all those. This seems impossible. Thanks, God, for another task that I probably can't do well. (laughs) Well, thankfully, as all those things go, we are reminded by Peter that it isn't about us doing those so perfectly, but us pursuing the one who has. And so he reminds us in verse four, as we wrapped up this passage, what And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. He's talking to a group of people and saying, this is what it looks like to be good shepherds. And then he says, but when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that never fades. He's reminding them, oh, you're actually not the, the big dog. You're not a big deal. Actually, the chief shepherd, remember, there is... The good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd. You're like little shepherds who are kind of, uh, you're a sheep, right? That gets to be a shepherd for a little bit. You get to put like the shepherd coat on the sheep. Um, it'd be cute if there's a little graphic for that, right? A sheep with a little shepherd coat on. You're not, you're not the shepherd. Don't, don't confuse yourself because there actually is a shepherd who is willing to move towards his sheep, willing to be with his sheep, willing to protect them and to feed them, to correct them, to guide them. In fact, he was willing to give his own life so his sheep would have life. He was willing to put himself in front of those wild beasts so that his people would not perish. That is the good chief shepherd, and he's gonna come back. Get your, get your eyes out of the sand, look up. He, he's the good shepherd, and, and he's coming back. He's going to make things right. That shepherd will not leave you. The second part is that mentions that there's this crown of glory that never fades. He's he's sharing here uh, about the, the phrase used here is actually a um, is the same wording is the same word used for these crowns uh, of leaves that were put on the heads of uh, like competitions you'd win right best throwing a spear competition, and then they'd put this crown on you that would signify you have won, you're the best, right? You're crowned as part of this elite group, um, and he says here, he uses that phrase, but he adds eternal to it and never fade to it, so there's one day we will, we will receive these eternal golden crowns, right? Oh, how did that get in there? I didn't. Sorry, sorry, I think, my bad, my bad, my bad. I guess it's not that far off, right? It's, um, we will receive eternal golden crowns that will not fade, that will not fall apart, will not wither away, but we will be crowned one day when the chief shepherd appears. Forever be with him in his glory, part of his family, part of that flock that will never fade, our objections to embracing these relationships, I think as sheep and a shepherd can fall away and can fade away when we look to the true shepherd. If I base my decision on do I wanna be a sheep by the shepherds around me, the other sheep who are sinners who will fail, then I, then I understand. We probably wanna find a new flock and find a different flock and then find a different flock. But if I base them on the good chief shepherd, I don't wanna leave this flock. And I want others to know that there's a flock with a shepherd who's willing, who's a servant, and who's good to us. Let's read the second half of this Ezekiel passage because this gets really good. I want you to hear who your God is. Remember these shepherds that were not really shepherds that God was against? This is what he says after that. For this is what the sovereign God says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountain of Israel in the ravines and the settlements in the land. You hear this? The scattered flock who has run because they had no shepherds, now we'll have a shepherd who will go to the ends of the earth, to every corner of every country, of every land, every ravine, and gather his flock back together. I will, I will tend with them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in the rich pasture of the mountains of Israel." I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God will do what the shepherds didn't do. He will bring them together. He will heal them. He will comfort them, care for them. Be careful that they don't get sleek and strong. I Think that they're too good for the shepherd? He will shepherd them with justice. I'll make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest with safety. Could you imagine being a sheep who had been, who had been hurt, who had actually seen their sheep friends get murdered and the, the shepherds used them to eat and clothe themselves? Can you imagine how you've, if you, you had run and hid somewhere so those mean shepherds would not hurt you, and now the, the chief good shepherd is coming and saying, I'm going to get rid of those beasts that have pursued you, I'm going to make a covenant of peace with you, I will, I will make them and the places surrounding them my hill of blessing, I will send down showers in the seasons, there will be showers of blessings, the trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops, the people will be secure in their land, they will know that I am the Lord and when the Break of the bars of their, I will break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who have enslaved them. We're hearing the gospel in the Old Testament here. Is this not good? They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor wild animals devour them. They live in safety and no one will make them afraid. What it feels like to not be afraid because the shepherd you have can protect you will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land, or bear the scorn of the nations. They will know that I, the Lord, their God, and I am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people. Declares the Sovereign Lord, "You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God." Declares the Sovereign Lord. How how does that play out? This is, a, this is before Jesus is on the scene you know, in person. Well, we see it play out as Jesus comes and uses the same language. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. There he is, right? I'm the good shepherd. I'm that one. And, and there's others that aren't in the flock. I have to go get them. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. So there is a good shepherd who comes, rescues God's people, provides a safe, nourishing flock for these sheep to be. And in fact, Jesus says right in the same time in John, he wants to give life to the fullest. Do you hear the language in Ezekiel? Lots of fruit and the pasture and showers of blessing. Not just I'll provide a place that's not so terrible. I'm gonna provide for you the best. Almost as if, almost as if we we're hearing what the garden looked like. We have a chief shepherd who comes to do that. This is why um, at Hope, uh, we um, take this really seriously and that our, our elders aren't actually even the top of our org chart. Here's someone, I'm gonna show you an org chart. Someone out there's real excited about this. Someone just checked out. I'm gonna show you our org chart. This is our actual org chart. From I had to dig, I don't often look up our org chart. I had to dig into our like, employee server to be like, do we have, have an org chart? Oh, we do. There it is. Isn't that exciting? Pretty cool. I'll zoom in a little bit because this is what I want you to see. This is our official org chart at Hope. Who leads Hope Community Church? Jesus Christ does, because he's the chief shepherd. Our elders get to lead under his guidance. Our governance team supports that. Our staff runs that, and and all of you get to be mobilized to go and make disciples and help people know there is a flock with a shepherd who loves them. This this is encouraging to me, though, to know, you know what, he is our chief shepherd. It's It's not just a thing we say that sounds cool, just because he happens to be on all this sweet old stained glass in our building, right? He's the one shepherd and we are his one flock. So can you rest in that? Can you rest today in the chief shepherd who loves you and protects you, who guides you, who will be with you and is preparing a place for us? Although right now it, it doesn't feel like luscious gardens to live in, but will be. And one day he'll come back and make it right. Can we look up from the sand, be reminded of that day? I wanna share um, one of the ways I've seen this uh, that I've been really encouraged by um, is this heart as Christ has led us as a church. I wanna give you a quick little history of Hope Community Church. Twenty-three years ago, our elders started a church in Minneapolis, actually on the campus, so that people would know this truth that there is a chief shepherd who loves them and cares for them, especially people maybe who have been hurt by the church, who haven't seen this. So in 1996, 14 people started Hope Community Church um, to connect with college students and provide an, an opportunity, right, to be part of the flock. Then after a little while, they outgrew that space and were given the space right next door to us here in 2003, and moved downtown. Still uh, having to figure out how to get college students here. That's when the sweet bus got uh, purchased. Has anyone re- rode the bus? For I mean, a lot of all the time. Meet people. The first time I came to Hope, I got on this weird painted bus, and I just met someone who didn't know where it was going. They just got on a bus. They were walking on Sunday morning and they're like, there was this bus and they said they'd take me somewhere. <laughs> How awesome is that? Thank God it was here. Who knows where they would take <laughs> this person? Goodness. Don't hop on mysterious buses unless they're coming here. Then it, uh, the church continued to grow. More people were invited because of, of you. You invited people and said, hey, you know there's a flock where the shepherd loves you. You probably didn't use that terminology, but you, there's a place. You can hear the truth. In 2011, we had the opportunity to uh, purchase this building through lots of cool acts of God and remodel it. Uh, anyone remember that? If you were around, we get spent a lot of hours in this room, even painting and pulling tacks out of the floor and remodeling this building so that more people could meet and hear the gospel and the flock could continue to grow. And then throughout our history, we did not want to just see hope grow. We thought it would be better to have 10 churches with 100 people than one church with 1,000 people. Because that means those people, those churches can be in different corners of the Twin Cities, reaching different people in different ways, different kinds of services. And so we were excited always to plant churches. And so over uh, the last 23 years, we were able to plant 10 churches all over, reaching different people in different neighborhoods that never would have come to hope here downtown in our building. In 2015, our elders spent a month reading the book of Acts and, and thinking through and praying, what uh, how can we be led by the chief shepherd to see more people know him? And so through that, we decided to move forward on another opportunity to plant A church, this time plant a church that would have the same theological distinctions and DNA um, and be able to support one another, even more than just a typical church plant that would leave uh, and and start its own thing, but but still be able to support each other under the same organization. And in 2017, we were able to plant our first location church plant in St. Paul, led by Brian Silver. They just celebrated two years. It's been really exciting. There's people at Lower Town. Who never would have been in downtown because they live there, because they happen to hear about it from a friend. There's more people who know about the flock. Today, uh, we get, I get the joy of announcing that we are going to plant our 11th church in 2020 in Columbia Heights. It is exciting. Uh, my wife and I, Kelly, have lived in Columbia Heights now for about three years, have quickly fallen in love with it, and have had a desire to, um, to plant a church. We also love hope, uh, and we love what hope stands for, and believes and we believe the kind of DNA of hope in a different context that looks different could help a lot of people know Jesus, and we'd love for many of our neighbors to know Jesus, and so we get the opportunity uh, in January of 2020 to start our, our 11th church plant in Columbia Heights. We'd love for you to consider being a part of that. Um, this summer, we're gonna take the opportunity to gather people uh, and just have cookouts. It's kind of how the Zolki household rules. So, uh, roles. so if you wanna come over for a cookout, eat some food, have a potluck, uh, we'd love to... to to tell you more about this. If you're interested at all in being part of this, one more opportunity to see the gospel go to another corner of the Twin Cities. We'd love for you to be a part. You can email heights at Hope CC. Otherwise, you can just go right on my Hope CC, and you can search for Columbia Heights and this group will pop up and you can ask to join it. Um, we'll get out dates for those cookouts. We'd love to, to share more. I'll be here after the service if you wanna ask more questions. We'd love for you to be a part of this. Another opportunity for more people to join in the flock, the one flock under the one shepherd. As we wrap up here, I just wanna encourage you to really consider today, whether you have an opportunity, I would guess there's places in your life that you lead, that you get to shepherd people. There's places where you just get to be a sheep. I'd encourage in all those to really think through what does that look like to apply the gospel to your life? Why is it that It's hard to be led. Why is it hard to lead? But in the end, I want to encourage us today that we need to be cared for and protected and led, and we have to be united under our one chief shepherd. And if you have not experienced that, today is the day. We're excited to have you here with us. Um, And I can't wait for you to experience the joy and peace that comes from knowing a shepherd who actually loves you and cares for you and isn't going to leave you. Um, yeah, I'm gonna ask us, to, I'm gonna pray and I ask you to pray to continue to pray for our next church plant, for the people that you know who don't know the good shepherd and I ask you to pray that God would work in your heart too, that you could love him more. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us that you love us so dearly that you're willing to die for us, give of yourself for us. That's um, humbling and I pray we'd be people who would repent well and find our joy in you. I pray today we'd leave here uh, different people ready to love well so that others can know you. Pray that in your great name. Amen.